Father God, would you please speak to us now through your word? Would you show us new things? Would you touch our hearts? Would you give us grace? Would you enable us to meet with you? Amen. What did he do wrong? What did he do wrong? He gave the master back the money, the thing that he was given in the first place. And where did it all go wrong? It wasn't that he was only given one talent. Yes, the first servant was given five and the second was given only two. It made no difference to how they went about using them. And the man with the one talent could still have done so much with it. It's a large sum of money. It was the sort of sum of money that somebody could live on, uh, not a very high level, but they could live on for 15 years. Uh, And we need to be slightly careful about how we understand the word talent. It's come to mean in English, as a result of this story, an ability a gift, you know, somebody has a talent for singing or or for cooking or whatever. But I think it's really more speaking about opportunities. The master gives them some money, but what he's really doing is giving them an opportunity. An opportunity to grow that money, to advance the interests of their master and to win his praise. And the servant with the one talent does not go wrong because he was entrusted with more than he could handle. We're told that they were given talents according to their abilities. So no, he wasn't set up to fail. We are given astonishing opportunities. For many of us being here, It is because we were prepared to say yes to an opportunity. But there are opportunities given to us in the shape of money or things or building or education or people or jobs or roles we play or the encounters and openings that we have. Even some of the most awful things that can happen to us can turn out to be opportunities. I remember one family... Uh, uh, whose baby was born with severe, severe learning disabilities. But they said that she was the most precious gift that God had ever given them. And not only in her, but also through her, they'd been introduced to a community of remarkable people. And we need to remember that our opportunities are gifts, just as our abilities are. We've done nothing to deserve them. And if you are tempted to think that you deserve what you have, may I ask you what you did to be born when you were, where you were, to the families that you were born to, with the privileges and the pains that were involved? What did you do to deserve the people you encountered, the attitudes which you learnt from them? And when it came to those breaks that you got, when doors suddenly opened, what did you do to deserve that? 
Whenever I get a headache or toothache, I thank God that I was born after someone invented paracetamol. What did I do to deserve that? It's a gift from God who created this universe, who gave us life, who loves us, and therefore longs for us to become like his son. Where did this servant go wrong? Well, firstly, I think he forgot his master. It really was a case of out of sight, out of mind. Maybe, and I'm adding to the story here a bit, maybe he got the money and thought, hmm, need to do something about that, uh, but for the time being, I'll dig a hole, bury it, and then when his master went away, he just forgot about it. Jesus tells other stories about what happens when rulers go away. He talks of a steward who begins to take advantage of the servants over which he is in charge in the house. He abuses them. It's been going on a long time. He talks of tenants in the vineyard. The owner who has gone away sends his agents to collect the rent and the tenants beat them up. It's very easy to forget God. Out of sight, out of mind. And it's very easy to forget that the opportunities that come are opportunities that are gifts from him. It's very easy to neglect them or, more perhaps worse, to use them for our own advantage. And there's a warning here that if we do neglect the opportunities that God gives to us, they will be taken away. It's also a warning that if we put God out of sight, out of mind, then he will say to us at the end, if you do not want anything of me, then I will put you out of sight, out of mind. That's the reference to the outer darkness. He forgot his master. He had a wrong understanding of his master. He claims that his master is a successful man, but a hard man. This is the version of the ruthless oligarch God. It's the billionaire who goes off to London and leaves his business affairs in Moscow in the hands of a servant. He comes back and the servant has done nothing and the servant says to him, I, I was scared, <laughs> really scared. Everything you touch turns to gold. You reap where you've not sown. You have an amazing harvest even though you don't put down any seed. You get given property and overnight it becomes the most desirable and valuable real estate. You invest in companies that just rock it. And look at me, I'm scared. I can't do anything. There is a hint of accusation in the complaint of the servant. He seems to be saying, I was scared because you're an absentee landlord who bleeds the land dry, as one commentator put it. I don't know where that view of the master came from. Perhaps it was his guilt in not doing nothing, but he could not be further from the truth. You know, what do we learn from the master in this story? Well, he's incredibly trusting. He entrusts his property his treasure, his wealth into the hands of the servant. He's very generous. 
At the end, he wants them to have in abundance. And he wants his servants to be with him, to enter into, to share not just his business, but also more than that, far more than that, in his joy. And actually, if this servant really did think that his master was interested in, all he was interested in was profit and that he was hard, he would not have been paralyzed by fear. He would have been driven by fear. He would have done something, even if it was only investing in a bank. And there are people you meet who say God is cruel and hard and so they won't believe in him. That is not logical and it doesn't make sense. If God exists and if God is cruel and hard, then please do not dare not believe in him simply because it doesn't suit you. Fear him. Be terrified of him. Try to do what you can to appease him or to ask him to have mercy on you. But never, never, never ignore him. Thirdly, the servant was lazy. The story is told of the young wife whose very lazy husband refused to find a job. She said to him, I'm ashamed of the way we live. My father pays our rent, my mother buys all our food, my sister buys our clothes, my aunt bought us a car, I'm just so ashamed. The husband rolled over on his couch and he said to her, you should be ashamed, he agreed. Those two worthless brothers of yours don't give us a penny. <laughs> Well, here, the master says, you wicked and lazy servant. Laziness is a refusal to work hard now or take risks now or move ourselves out of our comfort zone in order to reap the benefits then. Laziness is about short-termism and wrong priorities. The servant wanted an easy life. He claims he was putting security and stability first. But in fact, he couldn't be bothered about his master's interests. And he put out of his mind what would happen in the future when his master returns. It's a very human thing. We look to the here and now and forget the there and then. At a human level, it's sad to see people's gifts and opportunities wasting away because of laziness. And it's also sad to see Christian lives shriveling up because we want to play it safe and not take advantages of the gifts and opportunities given to us. We become spiritually flabby. We do those things that we find easy and we don't allow God to stretch us. And fourthly, he went wrong because he was not prepared to take risks with the opportunities he was given. A commentator wrote about this passage the reason the master is furious with the third slave is that for a businessman, the whole point of money is to be used and spent and circulated in order to make more money. Money merely hoarded might just as well be thrown away. 
In the same way, what God has given us, ourselves, our lives, our faith, our abilities, our gifts, our possessions, is given in order to be spent, to be put into circulation. Our lives are to be expended in God's service, becoming thereby the source of further blessings for others and for ourselves. He continues, we can't really live by playing safe all the time. That's even more true of a life lived for God. All that God gives us is given to be risked in new ventures in God's service. Every new step in living for God is a risk. So we need to look at the opportunities and take the risk. I took a risk on Friday. We've been given an opportunity which is something that this church has been longing for for many years, to enter into the city restoration project so that work can begin on restoration of the building next year. For that to happen, we need to pay fees of $8,000 by the 31st of December. We don't have $8,000. But this is something that we've spoken about. We've wanted to happen for many years, The opportunity is right, uh, and it seems right to sign the contract, which we have done. It's a risk. (laughs) Giles has turned his desire into wanting to go on a diet into an opportunity. Um, uh, So he's made it a sponsored diet. (laughs) Sounded great thing. Don has put himself up on the line inviting people to sponsor a room so we can use it for step up or AA, or or some of the other groups here who are unable to pay for the room themselves. But it's not just about asking people, taking risks with asking people for money. We can use or take risks with our time and abilities. Louise was telling me, telling us about three English teachers who have offered to do free English lessons for Vivirk. I had an email from Natalia, uh, who's working in Dubai, one of our people. She writes, found church here, attending leaders group, want to try how it will go with being part of a youth group and work with teens, trying to understand and practice what it is to be a Christian. And it was great to go out to Hinkson, it's obviously Corrie here, you know, to the school there, where people like Corrie and Haley have chosen to use their gifts as teachers, getting far less than they could have done at other schools, needing to be supported from home because they want to use their gifts in that particular way for Jesus. And in preparing for this, I like this one, I read of a hairdresser and beautician who wanted to use her gifts for God. She prayed, God, why did you give me a talent that's so much about vanity? How can I serve you? And she was led to set up him, hairdressers in the marketplace. And armed with blow dryers, scissors, and nail varnish, once a month she took a team to the most deprived areas of her, of her city, to nursing homes and homeless shelters, and offered free day of beauty sessions. Oh, and by the way, while they were doing the nails, they also talked about Jesus and the love of Jesus. Many of us here are entrepreneurs, perhaps I should say many of you. You've taken risks, usually for the sake of excitement or new experiences or money. 
The challenge of this passage is whether we're prepared to take risks for God. Maybe you've been given a new job or a new opportunity in that job. Or you've come into money. Or you find yourself living in a great big house. I wonder who that could be. Or you have an opening to use a skill that you have or to learn a new skill. Or it might be that you find that you are teaching someone influential here in Russia or their children. And perhaps you've been given the opportunity of speaking to them of Christ, of Jesus. For that matter, they don't need to be influential. The people who God has used are the people who this world considers are nobodies. Invite them to the carol service. I'll be speaking about the astonishing gift that God gave us at Christmas. Or bring them along tomorrow evening with the Archbishop, where amidst, no doubt, the questions about divisions and homosexuality and declining church numbers, he may be given an opportunity to speak about Jesus Christ, about the forgiveness of sins, about the presence of the Holy Spirit in us and through us, about amazing works of mercy and, uh, that are being done by believers, about places where the church is growing, about the hope we have of a new restored heaven and earth. Perhaps you might say, doesn't that smack of the E word? You know, evangelism. Yes, but it's part of what being a Christian is all about. The Orthodox long that Russians will be baptized, will discover the Orthodox Christian faith and will grow in that faith, in the knowledge of Jesus. I listen occasionally to Radio Vera, Radio Faith. It is great. First of all, because they tend to speak a little slower than the other radio stations, so I can understand a little bit more. But secondly, because they preach Jesus. And our desire, I hope, is that people will come to faith and be baptized, that people will grow in their faith, understanding, and love. And because we are an English church, an Anglican church in the center of Moscow, we're a foreign church with an English-speaking congregation, we have a particular responsibility of reaching out to the international community. And for that, we need to take risks. So even if you think you're rubbish and you're only a one-talent person, it doesn't matter. So long as you're prepared to take God seriously, recognize how deep his love is for you, work hard for him, and yes, take risks in his service, I think you will be astonished with what God can do through you. And more than that, on the final day as you stand in front of him, whether you're a five-talent person, a two-talent person, or a one-talent person, you will hear those words. Well done, you good and faithful servant. Enter into the joy of your master. <laughs>